Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I'm very happy to have Marcus Morrell on. Marcus, please introduce yourself. Um, hello, Kim. I'm um, Marcus. I am a staff quality engineer for Retail Me Not incorporated in Austin, Texas, and I'm the co-chair of the Selenium Conference Planning Committee, which we host basically all over the world. Um, yeah. Yes, you do, because I spoke in Berlin. That was my first time in Berlin, and that was such an amazing experience. You run a really good conference. Um, and we'll talk about the Selenium family in just a moment because I, yeah, whatever. Okay, so my first question for you is, and I'll guess the first two questions are, why is it important to cause a scene? And then how are you causing a scene? Okay, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this question a lot about why is it important to cause a scene? And, and the, the answer I just keep coming up with is that it's just about damn time. Um, <laughs> to me, the, the, the issues are... Once your eyes are open and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like the converted because I, uh, I, I was, I mean, I'll be, I'll be up front. I was a Republican until I was about 30. So for the last 15 years, I've been sort of repairing my own neurons around these kinds of issues. And once your eyes are open, you can't help but see. And then everything, everything you encounter in life sort of, uh, it sort of just makes it more and more clear how, how true these, these problems are. Right. So, I mean, to me, it's important to cause a scene because that's, it, it's, it's just looking like that's what it's going to take. Mm, mm-hmm. And so how are you causing a scene? Well, the best way that I have been able to cause a scene so far is by uh, being the co-chair of this conference and, you know, hopefully making space to put people on stage whose voices are not normally heard. Um, that is, that is almost, you know, honestly, the, the only way I've been able to truly feel good about my own ability to cause a scene is through the involvement with that conference and, you know, conversations with people offline and stuff like that. So let's dig into this, because um, why do you see putting people on stage who have these perspectives so important? Why is that the thing that you feel has been the most impactful? Just because. When I was first involved in the conference uh, as a speaker, I was just a speaker in, in uh, London in 2012, and and I looked at the audience, and the audience was, you know, to, to my view, the audience was rather diverse, and the speaker core was not. And to me, uh, it, it, when I when I started talking to Simon Stewart about becoming involved in organizing the conference, one of the very first things he said was that we need to have a more inclusive speaker core, and you know, when I went to the next conference and I looked at the audience, it was once again, it's like there's, there's a mix here that I'm not seeing on the stage. And I feel like those people need their voices represented. Um, you know, I, I don't even know if, if at that point it was more than just numbers. It's like, this is an inaccurate representation of the crowd in front of us. We need to make it more accurate. Um, Thank you for bringing that up, because that is just as simple as it is. Some people try to make these conversations so inflammatory. Um, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I try my best to stay out of the political arena on these mm-hmm. issues. I don't talk about morals on these issues. If I, if I can just make a business case for it. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but this is the issue that and, and it's. Because talking about people about their morals is is it's it, that can lead down a rabbit hole and no one gets anywhere. But when I say and when you can say to me, I'm at a professional conference that is the audience, which means the audi- the people who are actually using this tool are a diverse group. But yet the people who are speaking to them about the tool do not reflect that. That is a business problem. And that's what people don't. That is a business problem. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to me, uh, so, so in, in India last week, we gave the conference and uh, Simon, I was wearing one of your shirts on the stage during this panel where they were doing Q and A. And Simon from the panel asked me, why am I wearing the shirt? And I said a few things, uh, try to keep it brief because I know I don't, I don't want to speak for you. We've had that conversation. Um, but I, one of the things that I said to the audience was, if you do not believe that inclusion is a big deal, let me just pose one example to you, which is airbags. In the 70s and 80s, when they were developing airbags, they thought, all right, we're done. We have these things that come out and they hit you and, and, and they stop you from hitting the steering wheel. Therefore, we saved your lives. Aren't we awesome? Pat yourselves on the back and not realizing that they were killing small children because they never thought to test with people with small stature. Yeah. And so to me, that's, I mean, that's a tiny example and it doesn't even touch the issues that we're talking about here, yeah. but it, it, it sheds a light a little bit on, okay, at least let's, let's, you know, put a crack in, in the conversation and, and get you to see something that is objectively true. And the next example I would have cited had I had the time is Kodak film. Oh. How, <laughs> so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The, the first time Kodak film was made to represent the color brown accurately was because of furniture commercials they wanted to put on. Right. So that's the next example I would have cited. So uh, to to me that you're, you're exactly right in terms of it being a business business quandary. I mean, to me, it's, it's, I've been trying to push the speaker core to reflect the crowd and then, then we can work on pushing the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Because those people who are there who are already diverse need to see themselves on the stage. Yeah, and it's also probably not a great assumption to to think that that audience it accurately reflects the true crowd yes. because those are the people who could afford to go to the conference. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's happened so much in tech. That mm-hmm. is that is a huge thing that I see on Stack Overflow. My issues with Stack Overflow. They keep mm-hmm. putting themselves out there as if they're representing the global developer community, and they do not. They, they represent not. the 92% of white men who have the time, the patience, and the, the, just the inclination to, get, to play that game, which is Stack Overflow, to gamify that. And when yeah. they reach out to companies, and companies are now saying, oh, all we want to see is your GitHub and your Stack Overflow, that yeah. is a problem. Because you have a, a, you have a culture, you have a platform, which people from underrepresented and marginalized communities do not feel safe in engaging on. So they will not have a score. And now they're negatively impacted because they don't have, they don't feel safe enough to engage, to have a score. And, and that is not reflective of the global community. And I've, I've challenged and warned business leaders about that. It is reflective of the Stack Overflow community. So if that's what you're looking for, then that's what you go for. Yeah. And then if, if you take it another step further, when we're talking about 92% white males between the ages of 18 and 34, there is definite bias there from a white male between the ages of 18 to 34 perspective. And when you have people from underrepresented and marginalized communities going to that site own, and not engaging, but only grabbing and copying code and pasting it somewhere else, those biases go with that code. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about training or programming AI, deep learning and machine learning, I have a problem with that. Absolutely. Yeah, your algorithms aren't possibly going to be trained correctly with that data set, right? It's, exactly. And that has been my challenge to Stack Overflow, and they will not... They will not come on the show. They will not engage with me in any way. And I have not been, um, they've, and what they've actually done is amplify the voices of white women who've talked to them about this and intentionally have ignored me, which only further marginalizes me, but gives me a platform to keep talking. <laughs> right. That's true. So yeah. it's like you're not, you're, you're not yeah. doing yourself a, a, a service here. Yeah, that that whole that whole thing has been so problematic. I mean, yeah, I, I have actually, I have never posted the Stack Overflow because I'm generally kind of a meek person. But these issues, once you pointed them out, were so obvious. I mean, 
yeah, it's so obvious. I hate that it takes you pointing them out to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which is the muscle. Yeah, that's well, the, the muscle thing, I'm trying to work on right yeah, now. Yeah, but see, the thing is, this is, and this is a conversation I just had. You're not expected to, to know this. Just like I do not have the perspective of a white man. That's why you're on the show. You do not have a perspective. You do not have a perspective of a black woman growing up in the South. Plus, you do not have my background, my, my experience and my business background to see things in the way that I see them. So it wouldn't be expected for you to say that. But the challenge I'm finding is people intentionally, strategically, methodically trying to ensure that my voice and voices like me are not heard because we, what we're saying does not fit the narrative of what is out there. And we're challenging it, not because I hate white people. God, I've heard so many times I'm a racist. First of all, I do not belong to the power, the system of racism, um, system of power. So I cannot be racist. I could be prejudiced, but I'm not even that. What I am saying is, for the first time, white people, you do not have the answers, which you really didn't in the first place. You just only had the microphone. And, and, <laughs> yes. and, um, and so for the first time, we have a microphone. And because I have a microphone, I get to amplify my own voice. I don't need your permission to do that. And that's where the, 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 the rub comes. When I'm out here, when people like me are out here talking about inclusion, diversity, we're talking about, I mean, I'm talking about the hiring practices that we do in tech are so antiquated, they make absolutely no sense. We're still hiring for as if we're in the industrial age when we need to be hiring for the information age. And until someone can have that conversation and people not get offended because Mm -hmm. it makes them uncomfortable, we go nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree, and that's that's part of what I'm trying to do here is 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 hand you the microphone. I, I um, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, paid me a great compliment once when she told me that I tend to bow low, meaning I am always looking out to make sure that people are caught up, that they're, you know, if I'm giving a workshop, I'm going to look for the folks who are left behind. I feel like in my life, I have wanted to attain a leadership position, but when someone asks me why, I, I never have an answer. And now I know the answer. And the answer is to to fix, to help fix this problem in whatever way I can. If I could take a full-time job tomorrow, becoming a consultant for other conferences to show them the techniques that we have, we have undertaken to increase the diversity of our speaker core, I would do that. Uh, I would go to work for you tomorrow if you had a budget. For- <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and I want to get back to that because yeah. I want to get back to the Selenium community. Okay. Now, I, I have spoken at JavaScript. They've been um, supportive. I've spoken at um, DevOps Days. I've spoken at um, Python, Django um, events. But what I can say, and and for me, those have been individuals mm-hmm. who have supported and actively amplified myself and my message. What I can say I have not experienced and I am completely to this day blown away with because you guys continue to do it, is that the Selenium, not only the organizing committee for the conference, but the leaders have jumped on board wholeheartedly for hashtag cause a scene. You guys bought shirts when I, before it was even an officially announced. Um, you guys are, 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 are sponsoring, are, are putting together, helping me put together conferences in your area. The first conference was done by uh, a, the, the, one of the people who created Selenium. You know, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like, it is like, this is what I'm talking about. I don't care about you, I'm not looking to collect allies. I'm not looking to increase my numbers on Twitter because I've seen people with thousands of followers who do absolutely nothing. But what I can tell you is the, the leadership in the Selenium community is walking the talk of inclusion and diversity. And, that, and that's all I care about. I don't care about you talking about how great you are. Do something. And the fact that you, this team, 
has financially supported me speaks so much to who you are as individuals and what this community can do for inclusion and diversity for our whole entire industry. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. We probably talk about it, um, you know, more sometimes than the content itself because we're, we're after something and, and I hope that this is just the beginning, you know, um, we're not doing it for what, what did Jason Huggins call it? Uh, ally cookies. We're not doing it for ally cookies. <laughs> yes. We, we, um, we see a genuine benefit to it. Um, if you, if you want to be cynical and just talk about the business case, I'll go ahead and yeah. that. But really, I mean, because but I have I mean, no I, problem. To me, I don't even see it as cynical because that's mm-hmm. how that's a reality. It's, it's also a strategy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's my whole point. If businesses could figure out how to do this, they could compete. They could compete. You cannot create products for a global market from a white male perspective. If you're talking about South America, you're talking about Africa, you're talking about anything other than where white people colonize. It just can't work. It just does not work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I have this fantasy that that, um, my company, and actually we're poised to to potentially do it, uh, something like it, but I would like to see all 100% of recruiting dollars go towards um, recruiting in, um, I guess you'd say underprivileged areas or mm-hmm. universities, um, tech fairs, places where, you know, we, we have these STEM boot camps, and then uh, am I, am I, I'm right in thinking that we have these STEM boot camps that are popping up for, um, for people of color. And then they, they end up not, they end up still having just as much trouble getting a job as they did before. Because right? people are recruiting from those in those things. Right. They're still recruiting so, from Stanford and I, MIT yeah. and all these other things. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I, I would love to see a company that basically says, you know what, all of our recruiting dollars are going to go, going to go to these other areas because the white guys will find us. Yes. Yes. They, they, it, it's, 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 we don't need to try hard to get them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was um, at. A, um, I did some consulting when I was in Berlin and that was the thing I said, they were like, so how do we, how do we, um, cause we can't discriminate. Well, first of all, in the U S it's not discrimination. If you're trying to get underrepresented groups, right? So, no, I've, I've checked yeah. it. It's legal. Yeah. We can do that here, but they are there. They have a chat. They have several different challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things when on their job postings, they have to put male, female, they have to put that on there. Um, so people know that both, yeah, that both can apply, but they so how do we get around this? I was like, just go intentionally to these communities because as you said, the white guy will find you. They will find you. If there's a job listing, they will find you. And and they don't have to be qualified for it to apply. <laughs> yeah. I have definitely gotten jobs before where I didn't fit li- every line item. It doesn't even, you know, well, okay. that's the thing as a white guy of privilege, it, do- it doesn't even occur to you to think, okay, I'm, I only have 40% of that. It doesn't even cross. You're just like, yeah, I'll apply. Sure. Okay. You are the, okay. I want to bring this up because you were the first person to tell me this. So at that time I was putting my credentials in my slides and you and I had a conversation because you was like, Kim, I can't believe you have to do that because no one ever asked me about my credentials. And I've recently taken that out because I'm like so sick of trying to, I'm no longer proving myself the privilege. Either you believe what I do or you don't. Um, (laughs) because I have enough content out here that even the person who's half my skill level doesn't have. So if you can't Mm -hmm. figure out my abilities or my level of expertise from that, I'm no longer selling myself to you. But you were the first person to say that you were like, Kim, it surprises me that you have to put that up there. It it did. It uh, did. And and I have seen that since in several other talks that I have gone to where, um, uh, you know, a person of color gets up and, and they, they, they have, I used to have like a, a half a minute introduction. They, they go on two minutes. They, they give the credentials and everything. And I, I, the thing I realized, like after our conversation, I remember that too. The thing I remember realized is I, I don't have any credentials. <laughs> I don't have any credentials except the amount of years I've been in the, in the industry. Um, yeah. You know, I'm pretty good at what I do, but I don't have any <laughs> my degrees in linguistics. Yeah. 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 And, and so that was, I was like, it was you and another guy we were sitting at dinner with who said mm-hmm. the same thing. And, um, 
And so it was only, and it took me, because that was in October last year. Yes. So it yes. took me to going, to putting it in, putting it in. And then when I spoke at JSConf UE, I took it out. And I told them why I took it out. Because mm-hmm. I'm no longer, could care, I could, your opinions of me, I've spent too much time trying to fit in your box. I do not, your game was not created for me, didn't even consider me. So I'm going to make this thing up on my own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's just it's just one of those things that um, you, you just, you know, coming from, from my, my position that you, you, you just don't think about, you don't consider, and it's awful. Um, it's invisible and it's insidious. Yeah. We're very much invisible. We're very much invisible. One of the questions well, I did with, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I was just thinking about that word this morning. Cause I was just thinking about how um, I, I read Ralph Ellison's the invisible man back in college and there was a way he used the word invisible. And then there's a way that I have used the word invisible in my life, which is almost this, almost the same, but exactly the opposite. If that makes any sense whatsoever, I am as a white man, invisible. When I walk down the street in a normal crowd on a Sunday, nobody sees me. Nobody acknowledges me. Nobody is afraid of me. Nobody points me out. Nobody. It's, it's, it's a completely different kind of invisibility that is comforting. Yes. And that you have no concept of. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's strange to me because I, I hit upon that. Cause I've been saying for years, like I'm invisible as a 45 year old guy. Nobody wants to look at me. Well, Sometimes that's great. And I just can't imagine, you know, your invisibility is, is so different, but yeah, I, I, it was interesting. I I had wanted to have that conversation with you, um, that specific conversation about the nature of invisibility for me versus you. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. So let's have this conversation because it is, it is because when I walk out the house, as a black female, I am seen. Yeah. Um, I you are am, singled out. You're yes, feared. Yes. Particularly if, if I'm in a group of white people. And I've always been the only. Um, growing up here in Georgia, my mom intentionally made sure I was in ballet classes. I was in acting classes. We went to the symphony and all these things. And I was the only around many white people. And because I did not understand, I had no concept of this, I always felt unsafe. And I'm really only coming to recognize, and somebody, Sonia tweeted about this yesterday, I mean, the other day, and I responded, because it's only now that I'm recognizing that those places that I felt unsure and and insecure, that I now recognize was internal lack of safety because I was a target. If I even, and it's, it, and it's so funny because even as a child, white people, white children learn early on. And I, and, and I know it's not something that someone sits them down and has a conversation about, but they know early on about their privilege and they, they even at those ages use it to shut down black kids or um, kids of color. And, and it, there were several times that I would come home, tra- I mean, literally traumatized by something that some young white person said because they didn't think I belonged in that space. Or because I was in that space, I did not also have a voice. And I've always, because people are like, how did you get like this, Kim? I was like this at two. So I've always been that person to to be honest and transparent about my thoughts. And being here in Georgia, I learned that that was not a thing to be because it was unsafe. You know, what's amazing to me is how far that that actually goes, because I I, want to know if you you identify with this at all. Um, My kid was born in 2004 and he was blonde hair, blue eyed. Um, so in 2005 or six, he was, he couldn't have been more than 18 months old and sitting in his high chair at a restaurant. And, um, oh man, 
this is, sorry, this is no, just take this, care of- this, this struck me so hard when it happened. It was right in the middle of my changing, changing sides anyway, but a, we were sitting in a restaurant in a high chair at the end of a table and the most adorable little black boy, probably six years old came over and said, he's an angel baby. Mm. And, and just immediately I was like, that is not a good thing. That is, that is not something that, that he is an angel baby, but he would never look in the mirror and think that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just, it just killed me. And my wife and I had a conversation about it later. And, you know, my, um, several other relatives were there and they agreed. My kid was an angel baby. And I'm like, well, sure. He's an angel baby. But I mean, did you see the other kid? Mm-hmm. He was invisible. He was, inv- it just, it just killed me. I mean, that was a formative, <laughs> formative moment for me was that, that moment where I thought, well, that's, that's just the way it is, isn't it? The blonde hair, blue eyed kids, 70 years after Adolf Hitler died, yep. those are the angel babies. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just how it is. It, it was, it was awful. Yeah. The, and, and those are the things that I've had to, because also, because at some point there's some white and I definitely am, have some native American in me. So my hair texture is different. And so that was another way that I had to deal with. So what are you? I got the, what are you question a a lot. So what are you? Can I touch your hair? Hell no, you can't touch my hair. (laughs) I mean, and so we, we're, we're, we're all subhuman. We're all, we're animals. We're not not human. And, and that was so, I had no intention. I've said this, I have no intention of, of, of traversing this whole inclusion and diversity space, particularly as a black woman, because I've had to deal with this. And these things are real to me. There are wounds and scars that are on my soul that every time I have a conversation with someone who challenges my right to even breathe, they get re-inflamed. And I have to step back and say, why am I doing this? And there are two reasons mainly why I'm doing this. One is I'm getting the doctors in business administration. This is about business, period. I, find, I believe that I have a unique perspective to help tech businesses become the places where people feel safe. Yeah. That's one. Two, because... White guys like me. I, that, and I think it's because <laughs> I don't demonize you, but I also don't put you on a pedestal because I don't do that for anybody. But I also educate um, when necessary, but challenge when needed. Um, so it's great classroom management, period. Um, and that's the thing I learned as an educator. I have great classroom management skills and I have the ability to use your privilege to amplify the voices of others yeah. and particularly not underrepresented. Cause for me, that's white women. There are very few white women who are also marginalized, but marginalized voices. Mm. And, and that brings me to talking about the legal white men. Yeah. Okay. So, um, because I've talked about this, but you're the first member who I've had on the show. Okay, great. And so before I say the League of White Men, okay, again, I say I am not interested in collecting allies, uh, Twitter followers, because my belief is if you're not willing to make yourself uncomfortable so that I can have a semblance of comfort, I have absolutely no use for you in this fight. I have absolutely no use for it because I get it at all angles from bigots to racists to white women's tears to other people of color who saying, Hey, you are you safe? What are you doing? I'm scared for you to, you don't speak. I mean, I get it from everyone. So if privileged white men aren't, well, anybody, if you're not willing to get uncomfortable so that I can have a breath, I have absolutely no use for you. And when the, that, thing came and that idea came actually at when I was at that conference 
I'm That's after great. the conference. Yeah, no, after the conference, I was meeting with Jan, who is also a member who mm-hmm. um, runs JFConf EU, and he and I were having lunch, and I had just had a shower, and that popped in my head. I was like, how can I use, how can I leverage privilege for my own benefit? Because there makes absolutely no sense for me to go out and recreate a wheel or, or beat myself up, I get my head against the wall. What I've already said that I'm not even a part of this system. It doesn't even include me. Yeah. So what the legal white men is are men, white men, who have committed to making themselves uncomfortable so that I can be comfortable in getting my message and, and amplifying and, and, and highlighting other people. I really want you to speak to this because after um, speaking at, doing a panel on um, doing a fireside check at We Rise conference that happened two weeks ago, somebody tweeted that I said, you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that little seven words or whatever that is caused so much hail on Twitter for this young lady of people attacking her and then wanting me to explain what that is. Somebody actually slipped them some DMs yesterday asking me, could they explain? And I was like, no, we don't do, I don't do these kind of conversations in my DMs, sir. If you want to have this conversation, we're going to have it out in public. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need, talk to me about why you've joined the League of White Men, why it's important to you. And also, please speak to why you think it's important that you specifically are uncomfortable. Because they think I'm making this shit up. So why do you specifically believe it's necessary for you to be uncomfortable so that I can be comfortable? Well, I, it's, 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 hard. it's hard to... It, it's like all the thoughts are coming at once, right? So to me, it, it feels like sort of a you know, reasonable or logical following if the system was not designed for you and you in order to to get into it i i, I think that part of the, the most powerful aspect of my own privilege probably is my network which is what you historically have not had access to i, I don't see how i can just flip a switch and give you that access without myself being a little bit um, you know, it's, it's going to have an effect on the resources I have, the time I have, the people's attitudes towards me within my own network, especially people who don't like these concepts. Like it seems, it just seems to be logically that in order for me to offer this to you, it's going to involve a, a bit of discomfort for me. I just, I just don't happen to care. Like I, I feel like I've been playing it safe my whole life and it's time to stick my neck out for someone almost like I've been waiting for a cause. And finally I have found it. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. two, Intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. I'm not 100% sure that answered your question. Mm-hmm. No, it did. And I, and I had a profound sense of... I can't even explain it but this is why all this shit I get on Twitter is worth it because those individuals are usually not in the tech space they usually have nothing to do with what I'm doing and to know that white males who are running tech see the value in what we're doing. And it shouldn't matter. And make, next year, it may not matter to me. But in this moment, 
is the most validating thing I've heard in a long time. And I want to thank you for that because okay, this I'm, is hard. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm very, I'm trying to be very uh, sympathetic to the fact that um, all the stuff that you and Sonia have been talking about, white fragility and lately, like I don't, you know, I, I, I very much appreciate your thanks, but that's not why I'm doing it. <laughs> I, I need you to know that. I mean, there, there are a lot of us here and I, it is, it's interesting that we're all seem to be over indexing with this Selenium community. Um, I don't, you know, there's a list of us who have these conversations regularly and, and we, we are here for you. We want to throw money at you uh, as much as we can. Um, and, and we want to help companies and, and everyone who use our product understand these, these concepts. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. I, yeah, and I, and again, I'm not saying it because I'm grateful. I'm saying it because it matters and it's about time because yeah. black women have been carrying this fucking country for so long. And I think that's what that was. It was just, I feel safe. I feel that I don't have to carry this burden mm-hmm. when around my legal white men. I can be authentic. I can be uh-huh. myself because who else do I have to talk to? Who, who, I don't, there aren't many, when we talk about peers, there are, I don't have peers. So it's like, it's, so it's like, how, where do I get to put down all of this and just be Kim? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure someone listening would probably say, well, you've got friends, you've got, you know, other black women. And and I think your Paul, your whole point here is, well, they would be in the same situation they also need access to that network and those contacts and those resources i mean i I just realized the other day where when when i was thinking about this podcast and i was thinking about things that have gone on in the conference planning that we've been doing it's that in a small way i am one of five or six votes around literal million dollar decisions about around where these conferences are held, whose economy we're going to be contributing to Mm -hmm. how we're going to be spreading these resources around. And if I can devote 2%, 1% to of actual dollars towards a a cause like this, nobody is even going to miss it. And the more transparent we are about that process, the more I am hoping that other conferences will follow. We've talked to several other conference organizers already who have asked us offline, how did you, how did you get to 30% women speaking? You know, how, how did you get to this? And so we have, this is sort of, sort of taking a page from you um, that, you know, outrage is reactive strategies, proactive, right? So mm-hmm. we have things that we do to make this happen. This isn't just when Simon and I first started talking about this in 2013, it was, how do we do this? We're looking up in the air, trying to find an answer. And over the past five years, we have increased our network to include people who know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And they've taught us techniques and we're now ready to spread those techniques out. And I, you know, like I said, if it paid enough to, (laughs) to, for me to quit my day job, I would do it full time because I feel like, like you said, finally, I have found a thing I think I can help with. Yeah. And, it's, and, 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 and this is what people don't understand. You lending, like you said, once it's 2% of your privilege to this costs you nothing compared to yeah. what I have to, the energy and lack of resources I have if I had to do it. Yeah. But it's yeah. so profound. Your one or 2% can be so profound that it is just exponential when it's put in my hands. Yeah, because I think it will, because we had someone on Twitter the other day who very much complimented the India conference and how it was run. I don't know if you saw any of that. And, um, you know, our, I, I responded with, hey, thanks. You know, we, we wanted to, we just want to make sure that we're here. We're here to amplify your voice, stuff like that. And he basically said, I had no idea that Selenium Conference was such a channel for this this issue. And I, and everyone in the project is like, well, damn right it is. 
Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're not, the conference is fine. It sells out nearly every time. We're not worried about like trying to increase our marketing, whatever we were done. We, our conference is very Mm -hmm. successful. What we want to do now is show others how to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to figure out how we can, how we can help with that. I feel like there's another question that you had asked me that I I asked you, why did you join the legal? Why, why were you, um, why the legal white men? <laughs> why right. not just be on the you know sideline and 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 do like a many people do? And they they they'll retweet my stuff, they'll like it, they'll comment, but they haven't made a commitment like you've made. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I never even thought about why. I just sort of like that. That's just this is something I can do. To me, I think that your focus around strategy and business and action is so tangible. It's so actionable. Mm -hmm. It makes it easy. Like if you think about things in terms of, I am not going to clutch my pearls and worry if I encounter a thought in my day that makes me think, Oh God, I'm racist. Like it's there, man. It's, it's in the air. It is all around me. It's time to move on and take steps. Mm -hmm. And, and I love your approach. It's, it's the first, I think you're, you, you're the first person I have had ready access to who has had, you know, uh, almost a checklist. Here's what you do. It's almost like you could have a cookbook. And, and yeah. 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 So, and that's what I keep telling people. It's, it's, it's stop looking for simple answers to complex problems and we can do, yeah. but we can do this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, pay for speaker travel, pay for speakers, a stipend. Uh, make it accessible for them. Um, there's just so many things. So that that's down the conference level, but on on other levels, there's just the practical approach, the business approach, the the saying, "Hey, you know, um, if you want to avoid a class action lawsuit because you're killing children with your airbags, maybe you mm -hmm. want to consider inclusion as a strategy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and apply that to everything exactly. you do." That's 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 my whole point. It becomes your core values. Mm -hmm. It becomes yeah. a part of your core values. Um, well, tell me why, because you're also, um, you're going to be this third legal white man who is hosting a um, hashtag cause a scene conference. Why are you doing that? Well, I mean, it's sort of an extension of what we've been talking about. And, and this is, this is where I think that my ideal role in life is going to be hopefully uh, standing behind someone like you, helping to make things happen through, through my network and stuff like that. While, you know, the, if I go to this, if we, if we pull the, pull it off, do the conference, I'm just going to sit back and, and sort of think this is, this is great, but not actually uh, be on stage, which is great. <laughs> um, yeah. You wouldn't I, be, you, you wouldn't be allowed no, on my stage. <laughs> no, and that's fine. That's fine. Like, no, I, if I could push the buttons to make that happen, I had been on stage enough. It's fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it's important to me because I think, I think Austin, Texas is an interesting city. I don't know how familiar you are with it. I've lived here all my life, but Austin is a very progressive blue dot right in the middle of the big red state of Texas. But Austin is very problematic in how racially segregated it is mm -hmm. as a city. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've read about that. Um, and that is true all the time. And it is, it's, it's one of those things that, that we have trouble talking about. And I felt like putting you there, hopefully in the middle of South by Southwest, there will be a lot of receptiveness to the conversation. Now, if you recall, we had a chat where I was concerned about um, you being overshadowed. I think I also had a concern about you being unsafe. Did I have a concern? Mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that was just like, you know, this is me as generally a fairly meek and, and a wallflower type person saying, I don't know if you want to put yourself out there in the middle of that, but if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's do it. Yep. Um, but, but I think that doing it during the week of South by Southwest, uh, at a place that is right downtown, if we can, if we can get a hold of it. I think I know a space that we can get. Um, I, I just think it would be, it would be such great exposure for you because it would, I mean, it, Obviously, I think it would sell out. I am pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be great. My company also has 
diversity and inclusion is one of the six foundational values that my company has. And, you know, you scratch the surface, you'll find some problems, but I am trying to challenge, and everyone, a lot of people at the company are trying to challenge it everywhere we can. And I think that my company helping to put this on would also be a great thing for them, a great thing for you, a great thing for me, great, just just great mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in general. I, I kind of don't see a downside unless there is a safety issue, in which case, well, let's just try to make sure there's not. I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that yet. Yeah, that's I, that's um, where I'm not an expert. This is, I'm glad you brought that up because this is a, because when you said that, um, and I was talking about I don't have uh, peers and you were saying, well, I have family. My family has no clue about the thing, the conversations I'm having and the things that I'm saying because they would worry. And I don't want them to worry. I, when I say stuff, there is inevitably, even when I spoke at um, We Rise and I talked about white liberalism and how that's the biggest barrier to me for any progress I'm making or anybody's making, um, there are people who are concerned about my safety. And I don't want to have those thoughts because I am not a martyr. I am not trying to be a martyr. This is why I talk about this from a business perspective. Yeah. Um, because the outliers, the people who are fanatical on the other side of this aren't usually in my circle. Even on Twitter, they, 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 I don't get what Sonya gets. Sonya gets a lot more intensity than I get. Um, and I, it's one of the reasons is because I come at it from a business perspective and the people who challenge those individuals are also talking about it because they're, they're white people who actually speak up for me. And that's, and I can say, and I don't want to use the word trained, but other, I could say educated. I've educated my followers in how to handle people like that. I should not be having these conversations with these individuals. You as white people should be challenging them on their thoughts and and not me. And so that's how my community, that's why I don't need a hundred thousand followers. My 4,000 works great because they're acts, they're taking actions. Um, It's like having, being on Instagram, you have all these people on there and no one is interacting with you. What is that? Just to say you have followers, it means absolutely nothing to me. But when I say I'm having a conference or like I'm going to, the conference is going to be in Edinburgh in two weeks two days before, if I say I'm not sold out, there were people who will go buy all the donated tickets to give them away. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There were people, there are people who say, Kim, do you need money for speakers? Um, and, 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 and donate all the money I need and, 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 and expect me to make a profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when I started with the shirts, the selenium, you guys started immediately thinking about, Hey, how can we create shirts, sponsor shirts for the conferences or whatever? That's what, that's, that's the thing that moves this. That's the, the thing that I focus on and that I tell my mom about, um, (laughs) because she does not need to know the, the, the other side of this, you know? Um, and, um, and so that's what I mean, because I can't even go to my friends and family and have these conversations because I'm protecting them from what I'm dealing with on t- uh, online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it, you know, it's worth talking about, but I, I definitely think we ought to push forward as though that's not a consideration. And um, I, and, and, and yeah. if it is, then we hire our security people. I mean, I, yeah, sure. if it gets to that point, then I'm okay with it. I'm never, I am not a martyr. I, it, and, and it is not my intention. And this is why illegal white men is there. And I said this, it is, why am I walking alone? I should not be walking alone in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should be yeah. surrounded by white men who believe in this and who are going to protect me at all sides. That's it. Yeah. Well, I will definitely help as much as I can. Um, yeah. Oh, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to put you, it's going to push you out your comfort zone a little bit. That's fine. I, I, I'm, 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 I was prepared to be a lot more uncomfortable during this conversation than I have been. So like, if, <laughs> if you got, if you got more, <laughs> yeah. cause I know you, you and I have had some challenging, you know, not super challenging, but you know, some discussions that, that I definitely, you know, I, uh, I, I don't, oh, you know, what, what, what was about one, what, what was one about conference, something, another, uh, pay, paying for paying stipends yes, to speakers. Yes. And, and it was sort of just me, it, it was me trying to explore. I, I, I was hoping it did not come off as me telling you, you know, what 
what I more like, should we really pay? Because that might be a barrier to getting sponsors. And, and, uh, basically I, I needed a perspective I could sell. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing that came out of that, I think for, for me was that it's, you know, the term noblesse oblige, right? Like I, I feel sometimes like that hits me and, and I have to, when I go to conferences, I do it because I want to be there and I want to speak and I don't accept, or I don't expect payment. And, and you, you pointed out like that is definitely a privileged mm-hmm. viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's sort of, and when I think about it, I'm like, well, of course, like who the hell can afford to do that? Mm-hmm. Just go speak. And then, and then of course, when you think about some of these conferences I have gone to and spoken for free, they are for-profit conferences. Now yes. that part of me is wondering like Selenium is definitely not a for-profit. We, we are a, the, the conference makes a profit, but the company or the, the entity behind it is not, is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. The money stays in the bank and we use it for scholarship programs and stuff like that. So we have a different motivation. Everyone on the committee is volunteer. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and uh, gosh, I feel like I'm all over the place here, but I, I, um, it hit me then that I had been resisting the call within our conference to pay speakers because I've been of the opinion that they don't need it. <laughs> and that's because in the past, it's always been a bunch of white dudes like me who didn't need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now that we are forcibly changing the makeup of the people who come and speak at our conference, it is time to reconsider. And we have reconsidered. I don't have anything to announce, but yeah, we have yeah, reconsidered. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's changing. And another area that I think you've had some influence on. Yeah, because it's the whole, um, oh, I gave you um, accommodations and, 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 and flights. That should be enough. Well, my mortgage is not paid in accommodations and flights. Um, right. There's an assumption that I work, for, I work for myself. So when I'm speaking somewhere or whatever, where's the income? You know, it's like, I don't, and I put more, I, the, the, my approach to my talks is more entertaining than most people, more reflective than most people, more, way more than talking about a technology and that needs to be compensated. And that's the conversation that a lot of people who are having these conferences don't want to talk about and no, my, I don't have a company who's going to reimburse me. I don't, I mean, right. if that works, that's great. But every, you can't make the assumption that everybody, yeah. particularly when you're talking about underrepresented and marginalized, there's so many of us who are trying to get in the field. So we're like, when you're talking about those boot camp individuals, mm-hmm. how are they going to pay to get somewhere and, and live? Because they get you to another city, another country. And then how do you get around? How do you yeah. eat? All these things that come to play. And another huge thing. Oh, I'm so happy we're talking about this because this is a (laughs) conference that could pay attention to this. One of the big things, particularly when, and I'm not yet making a lot of money, so I'm very careful with the money I'm making. But particularly when I was not making anything, when I was trying to figure this thing out, being booked into a, a, a hotel and being required to give them my credit card so they can put a hole on my account. Mm. And that account, if it's not a credit card, even if it is a credit card, particularly if it's a text to my bank account, now you've put a hole on the mm-hmm. money that I have. Mm-hmm. So now I may be in a foreign country. I may be somewhere I've never been before and I can't eat because they put a hole on my account. Mm-hmm. All of these things that conference organizers don't think about that are no one who you've invited to speak should have, this is the bigger thing. No one who you've invited to speak, I don't care who they are, should have to disclose their financial information to you. Yeah. What you need to do is anticipate that and make sure there are no barriers regardless of who that person is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys, that was the first time I, um, I love the, the, cost, the, the, the partnership you had with, I can't even think of the company right now. White October. Yes. Which, because coming, that was my first time in Berlin. Having someone pick me up at the airport was great. Having um, someone, to, I mean, that whole, having someone I can liaison with. Yeah, yeah. Um, was great during the whole conference. Having someone keep your receipts because we're going to reimburse you for this, that, and other was great. 
Um, that is the stuff that that's a first step. And that's the stuff that people aren't taking. Yeah. You're saying you want these under these marginal, I'm not even gonna talk about underrepresented, marginalized individuals to come at your conference. Do not think they owe you anything because that you've paid for their accommodations in their flight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, it sounds like the kind of thing that, that would be easy enough. Uh, the great thing about white October, uh, I don't know if you heard Ashley Hunsberger, uh, my co-chair and I did a podcast a while back. We actually talked about you quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I need to hear that. Make sure you. It's, 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 yeah. I'll do, yeah. Uh, super testing brothers. I think is the name of the podcast. Um, they, they had us on to talk about, how to like increase inclusion numbers uh, in a conference. And one of the things we ended up being sort of a commercial for white October, because they brought half of the ideas that we've had, including we never paid for any part of speaker accommodation or anything, but they figured out how to make a budget that would, you know, raise the ticket prices a tiny bit and then everything's covered. Yeah. And now we're trying to push that a little bit more. And, and we're finding that we're able to, we are having to increase the ticket prices a little bit and as a result, you know, really turn this conference and speaker core into what we want it to be. And so white October is the group. And I feel like they would be receptive to this idea of, of the hold on the credit card, because to me, when I, when I hear that, when I, what I think of is what is the possible highest liability you could incur mm-hmm. by taking on the burden of maybe 10 people who are uncomfortable swiping their card. Yep. Even if it's all 30, what's the highest possible liability you're incurring there? And I, I think that, I mean, just on the, on the, on the face of it, me thinking about it right now, it's a pretty easy choice. Once again, just something we had never considered. Yeah, be- and, exactly. Because you yeah. not, don't have that perspective. Cause I, I've gone to several conferences where it's not, it's a hundred dollars a day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, what? I'm here for five yeah. days. And so yeah. then you're going to hold a hundred dollars a day out of my account. What the hell is that about? Or, right. or they've um, gotten confused and charged me instead of charging the, the, the conference. And so now I have a whole, I have money taken out of my accounts um, for, for, for various reasons. Um, yeah. And so these are things where you're talking about, um, again, because I don't have a white male perspective, and that's why I need people like you to say, hey, yeah, yeah. how we think, and blah, blah, blah. But I am, I am a strategist to my heart, and I can come up with a strategy for something. And that's one of the barriers is having people from underrepresented, and particularly, I mean, from marginalized, and particularly what this usually means is they've never, they, they're seldom been to the places that you're taking them to, so, yeah. so particular is out of the country and there's a lot of, um, more planning and preparing them for what to expect when they go to another country and, and not being condescending, but when you're talking about somebody, you just got, you just worked to make sure they got a passport that should tell you, we have some more work to do on this end, <laughs> yes. you know, um, to make sure they feel safe. And they're, they're, you know, acclimated and they know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and that's a big deal because I can, I can tell you when I was spoke at JFConf, uh, Columbia, that was a huge issue for me because I just left speaking at your conference and, um, rule JS. So I just spent 14 days out of the country where it cost me $10 a day to use my phone. So that's an extra Mm -hmm. $140 that I had not planned for. And then. And I got back to the U.S. I immediately went to Columbia and they were we were thought I was going to be able to use a SIM card. But because I had a locked phone at the time, I couldn't use a SIM card. Everybody speaks Spanish. I do not speak Spanish. My phone doesn't work. That means my Google Translate doesn't work. My GPS doesn't work. Nothing works. So where am I going to go? I felt so overwhelmed. And thankfully, they recognized that and jumped in immediately. To, to help alleviate. I, I'm a person who likes to travel. So I can only empathize with anybody else who's this is their first or second time going out. And I felt totally overwhelmed and isolated in that environment because I knew if I left that hotel, how would I get back? Because I cannot communicate with these people. <laughs> and and, and I, I truly don't know the answer to this question, but like 
I feel like if I am in that situation, I write down the hotel address on a piece of paper and with my face and my beard and my stature, I show a cab driver a piece of paper and they're going to be like, all right, yes, boss, let's yep. go. You're absolutely right. Because and that's, even, that's the part I didn't know is, is, are you also getting that in Colombia? Well, one of the things that, because Colombia has a, a, a race issue with um, color. Mm. So, um, and they call them blacks. So the, somebody my color would be discriminated against compared to somebody your color who's Colombian. And that's all of um, Central and South America. They have color issues. So yeah, yeah. that would have been a problem. Yeah. Another thing to, to consider. Yep. It is everywhere pervasive, insidious, and I just, that's what's it's made this so easy is that, like you said, uh, it's, it's uh, one to 2%. Like what I, what I would love to see is what if it were 50%? What could I accomplish if mm. I were able to devote mm-hmm. more? Mm-hmm. That's why I wouldn't want to be independently wealthy so I can just devote all my time to this. I told my wife that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, your chances of becoming independently wealthy are greater than mine. So that is a true statement. Working with, on it, so. and without all your credentials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing conversation. And um, any last words? I could go in another three hours, Kim. I'd be glad to talk to you anytime. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for having my back. I really appreciate that. I hope I can demonstrate that more. I know that I've been a little bit more silent on certain issues where I think I should stick my neck out. I'm, I'm trying to content myself that sticking my neck out sort of in my role as the conference chair, as well as um, organizing your, I, I am hoping that that is adequate for sticking my neck out. But I also sometimes what, what I want to do on Twitter sometimes is, is, Sometimes there's a white guy who says, hey, what about this? And Sonia and you don't have time for it. And I respect the hell out of that. But I do have time for it. And I feel like maybe I should take the white guy aside and say, look, let me help you get to a kindergarten level on this issue. They have PhDs. Let me help you. I'm a fifth grader. Let me help you get to this, this, this point here so that you don't go off and get angry and, and stay in that shell. And that's the role I would like to start playing on Twitter for, well, for you guys. You can step your foot in it. And then once you get your toe wet, you'll do it because you'll see. And there are people who are um, who are definitely following me who do that, who break it down yeah. and just follow their lead. And that's one of the reasons I am starting the hashtag cause a scene alliance mm. so that you can get the skills you need so that we can be strategic about that, even that to that level. How yeah. do we get, because whites, whites, I used to say just white men, but with w- white women's tears, it's not just white men. Mm-hmm. White individuals, privileged individuals are the bottleneck bet- between t- particularly 18 and 34 are the bottleneck for these issues. And, and it's mostly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's mostly because of misinformation um, and just a total lack of awareness of other people, which really doesn't happen until the frontal lobe fully develops at 25. So you have that issue right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but I would rather not have those conversations with them. And that's why the legal yeah. white man is there so that I can, and what the alliance is going to be so that I can spend my time talking to people who have an interest Mm-hmm. and are actively trying to do this so that you can go out and, and, and educate your, your, your constituents, your peers, because they're not going to listen to me. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that is my goal for the, for the rest of the year is start dipping my toe in that. Well, uh, you'll have great opportunities. Cause like I said, the line we're working, we, the website team now is trying to figure out the best platform for that. Um, and it's about, bringing in guest speakers, me creating videos, me creating content, and actually us having dialogue and creating strategies around this because one-offs are not working. The other side is very much organized, very much vocal. And until we get there, we're not going to have the same impact. Yeah. Well, I'm here. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCalledTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.